This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Hi, good everybody. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans, and welcome into a very happy Friday edition here from Studio B at the Oscar Sports Performance Center. I'm Sean Kelly. John DeShazer's alongside today. Daniel Salerson in studio, and Carolyn Gonzalez as well. Caroline will be helping us out with our draft preview series a little bit later in our show. We'll focus in on the Oakland Raiders, who select 10th overall, and we'll speak with Eddie Pascal, senior writer for the Oakland Raiders, about the Raiders' offseason and what they may or may not look to in the early portion of the NFL draft. But as we begin today, obviously the huge, massive news last night for both the Saints and the Pelicans. We have a schedule on the Saints' side, and we have a Pelicans team that's on the brink of sweeping the Portland Trailblazers right out of the NBA playoffs. Good morning, J.D. What a night last night. Yeah, huge night. Um, I, I tell you, it was something to behold to be there and to see what the Pels were able to do. And not just from a standpoint of execution, but they handled themselves well emotionally. I think they really seem to be a mature team during this series. There have been some opportunities for them to, especially on the road in Portland, to to fold up and maybe not win a game. But they've shown a lot of emotional maturity, a, a lot of fortitude, I think. And, and last night, I don't want to say it was a trap game, but it was a game where the Pels could have felt pretty good about themselves being up 2 nothing, and, and maybe kind of gone through the motions a little bit. But they came out and they were intense from the beginning. Um, they looked like the more desperate team. I, I've said that a few times, but they looked like a team that was that was in a hole 0-2 instead of ahead 2-0, diving all over the place and, and, and creating steals and, and just creating a lot of havoc. And, man, that was fantastic to see. Final score was 119-102. to and, and, John, while I know that some have said it was the, the best win in franchise history, I'm not ready to apply that label uh, because of – the advancement of the second round back in 2008. But, John, I can't think of a more electrifying night in that building in this franchise's history. Yeah, been pretty. it was pretty huge, and, and I'm with you. It, it was not the biggest win in franchise history. No, not, not, I don't think so. But, man, it, it ranks pretty pretty high on the, on the chain uh, just from the standpoint of what they were able to do, uh, the electricity of the crowd that really fed into it, and, and hopefully – this is the uh, kind of a, I don't want to say a beginning, but hopefully this is something that can be continued uh, crowd-wise and support-wise because, you know, the, the arg- argument has been, you know, okay, New Orleans, you got you to gotta give New Orleans, you know, something to cheer for. You got to give them a basketball team that's worth coming out to see. Well, this team is worth coming out to see. This team is worth uh, the, the price of admission. This team is worth every bit of all the accolades they're getting right now. And uh, to have that crowd in there, and they were able to feed off it because, I mean, they really were able to get after it. And you could see those guys really playing off the crowd and the crowd playing off off the team, and it was a great union to see. Could Nikola Mirotic have been more effective than he was last night? No. No. <laughs> I mean, 12 of 15 to get his 30, to get his 31 points. And, I mean, just extremely efficient. I don't know that he took – well, he did take a couple of uh, tough contested shots, but once he got into a rhythm, he got into a rhythm by taking some good, easy looks. Uh, Rajon Rondo found him on a couple of cuts to the basket for some layups, and he was just he was just ruthlessly efficient in that game, man. I mean, he he played 
about as well as he can play offensively. And I know we've seen some scrappiness out of him defensively too, but when he's playing like that offensively, he gives the Pels a chance to beat anybody, I believe, because, again, you can mark down what you're going to get out of Anthony Davis. I think you can pretty much mark down what you're going to get out of Drew Holiday. You can pretty much mark down what you're going to get out of Rajon Rondo. But when Nico is shooting it that well and he's playing that well, he gives you a factor that you have to spread the floor. Uh, that gives AD a lot of room to work down low. But then on top of that, he's making those shots. Uh, you go back to that rainbow three he made late in game two in Portland to really give the Pels, uh, after they had you know gotten a little bit shaky, to retake the lead, and then they carried it on to the finish line from there. He's made big shot after big shot after big shot in this series, and we saw it start really with the last five games of the regular season. I don't want to give too much credit to the shaving of the beard, but, hey, maybe there's something to it, man, because, you know, if it's something psychological, I don't know. I don't know what happened after he shaved, but he's been a different player since then. Why haven't the Trailblazers been able to figure this thing out, John? Well, I saw Dame Lillard said pretty much that they've been jumping him with defenses that he has not seen in his NBA career. And I think the Pels have been really committed to him and C.J. McCollum in terms of just jumping those guys off the screen. Uh, you'll see when they come off that high screen, the Pels, you know, the, the, the primary defender is on the trail. The big will hedge out, and they'll just trap him immediately. And either he's got to give it up, or even if he's able to kind of get around that big, that gives the guard enough time to recover to, to catch back up to him. And now it's just a matter of rotating. But if you can get out, out of his hands or get it out of McCollum's hands, then you put it into the hands of guys who aren't accustomed to being decision makers that often, whether that's Alfa Rukaminu or whether that's Evan Turner or whether that's um, Nurkic or whoever it is, you know, Zach Collins. Those guys aren't accustomed to being primary ball handlers and they're not accustomed to being primary, you know, guys who initiate and so you can live with the results of that if you're the Pelicans. Sometimes you're going to get bit. Don't get me wrong because, you know, for a while, uh, Alpha Rukaminu in game two and in game three was making threes and he was looking pretty sharp offensively. But if you're the Pelicans, you don't believe they can sustain that for the entirety of a game. They might have some good stretches, but you don't believe they can sustain that for the entirety. You know that McCollum can. You know that Lillard can but you're not convinced that those other guys can. And until they prove that they can, you just jump Lillard and McCollum and, and make life tough on them. And they've just they've made life hell on those two guys. Yeah, no doubt. And, and John, look, they, those two guys, McCollum and Lillard, combined for 44 last night. Or excuse me, 42. They were just about six points off of their usual output combined. But they also combined for 12 turnovers. And, John, I don't know if I've ever seen a team – Score 35 points off another team's turnovers, and that's what New Orleans did to them last night. Yeah, it's been something to behold. I mean, they're really forcing Portland into some uncomfortable positions. And, you know, whether it's Lillard or McCollum or the forwards, they're forcing them into some uncomfortable positions. And it's like, you know, every now and again you see this in, in a playoff series. You don't see it often in, in, in the regular season because you don't have time to plan for guys like you can kind of isolate on them during the playoff series. But they have done – you know, what you wouldn't imagine could be done in terms of taking Lillard away from that offense. You mentioned they scored 42, but it was a hard 42. I mean, it was a struggle for those guys to get to those 42 because they don't often get good, clean looks. And even when they do, they've been run through the gamut, man. And by the time they get to that open look, I don't know if they have the, the, the right kind of concentration. We saw Dame Lillard last night take a couple of threes. Now, we've seen him make those kinds of threes, but 
you know, he must have been five feet behind the three-point line just because that was the cleanest look he was going to get probably. And he missed them, of course. But, you know, those are hard makes. Now, when they're going, you know, they're wow shots. But when they're not going, they look awful. And last night they looked awful because, you know, I think he just got to a point where in his mind he was saying, you know what, I might not get a better look than this. I'll admit, though, I still held my breath every time he jacked one up. Oh, you have just, to because you know yeah. he can make that shot. But, you know, but but the fact is a lot of times when he's taking that shot, it's because he's in such a rhythm and he's going so well and he's got the hot hand that he just he's just feeling it. Last night I think he took him just because he was like, you know what, it won't get better than this during this, this possession, so I better get it while I can. Yeah, fair enough. Um, let's just get down to brass tacks here, J.D., with regard to the series. Does Portland, in your eyes, have anything left to force this thing to Game 5 in Portland? I just don't think so. I, I, I'm hesitant to, to say that a team has been broken, but I, I can't imagine that their will is extremely strong or their confidence is really high right now because they've thrown a couple of punches at the Pels, and, and either the Pels have slipped those punches or they've taken them and they've returned fire, and, and, and the Pels' punch has been a lot stronger than, than Portland's right now. I just don't know what they have left that they could show new to the Pelicans that could catch them off guard. Now, maybe Lillard and McCollum catch fire in game four, but even then, you don't get the sense that Portland's got enough to be able to stop New Orleans in any way, shape, or form. If, if you put the numbers up, Lillard and McCollum might average a couple of more points than Rondo and Holiday, but the points are almost even. The assists swing way in New Orleans' favor. The rebounding from the guards swings way in New Orleans' favor. The efficiency uh, swings way in New Orleans' favor. So I don't know what Portland has that they could throw at New Orleans that would be new, that would stun the Pels and, and put them in a position where we go play game five in Portland. All right, we'll have to see on that. We'll also get the perspective of the Trailblazers from Casey Holdall today in our second segment. He is the beat reporter uh, for the Portland Trailblazers with their uh, team website and digital media. So we'll check on that side of the ledger uh, here coming up. Uh, here, before we uh, finish up in segment one, and don't forget we still have the Raiders to talk about in our draft preview uh, later on in today's podcast. But, John, I'll, I'll ask you to put your Saints hat on because the other big news yesterday involved the black and gold. And we finally got to see the regular season schedule as it lays out days and, in some cases, times as well. What did you take away from your first look at the Saints' schedule for 2018? Well, I mean, it, I hate to say this. You know, they all, it always, when you look at it on paper, you know, you, you look at the start and you say, okay, it, it looks like it could be a soft start. And it looks like the, the, the Saints have a chance to, to really get out of the gate well. But, you know, looking at schedules, the excitement, I guess, is just having the actual knowledge of, of the concrete evidence of when the games are going to be played and that kind of thing. But when you're judging, you know, based off last season and that kind of thing, it's just hard to go by. You see a stretch in there where, you know, after the bye week, three out of the next four games are on the road. And the one home game is against the Rams. And before that Rams game is that road game at Minnesota. So you figure, okay, that's going to be a tough stretch. But then you look back, you know, a couple of years ago, the Saints took the Rams to the woodshed in New Orleans. So when the schedule came out last year and we saw that the Saints were going to, to L.A. to play the Rams, you figured that was going to be a win. Well, by the time they got to the Rams, the Rams were leading the West, the NFC West division, which they went on to win, and they were wearing people out, and they beat the Saints out there on the road. So it's tough to say right now. You can say how favorable some, some situations look for the Saints, but yet when you get to that game, you don't know how it's going to be until you actually get there on the schedule. You do like the fact that 
you know, their their five primetime games. And I think that's the reward for the Saints, obviously, winning the division and playing some good ball and, and knowing that team people like to see the Saints on TV. And usually they play pretty well in primetime. So, you know, putting them in those situations, you know, always used to bode well for the Saints. It looks like they might be getting back to that. They might not ever get back to the aura that they had, especially playing Monday night football games at home. But, you know, just the fact that they're playing those games tells you that they're, they re-raised the prestige around the team. And, you know, they're a team that, you know, people want to see and, and networks want to put on there. I think this is a question that I ask you every year, but I like the question. So I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, John, if, if you were a Saints fan and I told you you could only get your hands on ticket for two home games this year, now that you've seen the schedule, which two would you select? Well, you're always going to take the Falcons game first just because of what it means. Right? So you're always going to take that one. I think I would go for the season finale, uh, Carolina, um, just because you figure by that time that game's going to mean something. Now, I could go with you know P- Pittsburgh, the Steelers, before that one because – you know, that could be a huge one. Or the Eagles, you know, before that Falcons game. But I think that Carolina game usually is going to mean something that season finale. That's why the NFL stacks the schedule the way they do to get more divisional opponents right at the end of the schedule because, you know, usually those games determine the division champ, uh, for instance. So that, that could be a game that could be for the NFC South title. So I'd always take the Falcons game because that's always going to be a festive occasion. Uh, you know the two teams you know, can't stand each other. And I mean, literally, the players cannot stand each other. So you know that's good old-fashioned kind of you know, rivalry hate. But I think that Carolina game at the end of the season is going to mean something. And I know Philly is going to be big, but that divisional game against Carolina, I think that's going to mean something on December 30th. How about the fact that that Falcons game is on Thanksgiving night, John? Yeah, I ain't crazy about that one. But because, uh, <laughs> you know, automatically that means a short week. But that's the disadvantage for both of them. And this time... Thank goodness the short week plays into the Saints' favor being the home team because the Saints have had to go on the road for that short week Thursday game a couple of times, and that's been kind of hard, man. Uh, I think they did it against Carolina a couple of years ago. They did it uh, against the Falcons last year, and those are hard games to win on the short week, and you've got to travel. So at least they're home for that one, and then they get a full week. They don't play again until the next Thursday against Dallas. But you know, having the Falcons – at home for Thanksgiving, that's going to be, you know, that that raises the roof on that one even more. Yeah, it's interesting that game at Dallas on November the 29th, John, traditionally one of those two teams surely is on a short week in that Thursday night matchup because the Cowboys also play on Thanksgiving. Both teams will have a full week of preparation going into that November 29th game. And I think that's as fair as you can make it uh, for those two teams. I'm, I'm sure they applaud that decision because, you know, that's nice now. You know, the other flip, the flip side of it is, you know, you don't play that next Thursday night and you don't play until that next Sunday and then you get that mini buy. But in which, and that will happen the next week after that. But, you know, you do get the full week. You get the chance to hopefully uh, rest your bodies a little bit more if you're, the, if you're the Saints and the Cowboys. You know, the Saints do have to go on the road for that one. So, of course, you know, you, you don't like that part of it. But back-to-back Thursday games, one a short week, and then you get a full week, you'll take that. For the first time in a couple of years, no Christmas Eve game either. Nice. That does not hurt my feelings whatsoever. <laughs> Being home for Christmas, man, that's that's you know that's kind of big. You know, we will play on December twenty third, you know, that, that home Steelers game. But to, for for everybody to be home on Christmas, man, that that's kind of huge. It's got its perks and it's got its challenges, John. There's no doubt you're going to see some division winners there. Your AFC side of the schedules uh, 
not for the faint of heart. Uh, it, it, it is interesting. It really is. And, and you go back to the start, as you mentioned, uh, maybe unlike last year or even the year before that where you know, you'd sit there and say, oh, my gosh, the whole season could be determined in the first month. You may actually have a chance to ramp things up a little bit. No slight to your first two opponents. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I hate to do this, but just looking at it on paper, home back-to-back games against Tampa Bay and Cleveland, you're looking at hopefully two wins. Then they go to Atlanta. That could be a little dicey. Then you go to the Giants. There's a possibility, and then Washington at home. There's a possibility going into the bye at four and one, uh, and that would be a wonderful way to go into the bye. Uh, last year they went into the bye at two and two. But this will be, you know, obviously a lot better than two and two. But, you know, you get the momentum, you go into the bye, and then you come out of that bye with that tough stretch of three road games in four weeks. So that's the one where you want to build up a little equity in the bank and start out fast because, you know, you know, it can always get a little dicey when you have to go on the road that often. Yeah, no doubt. It's fun to look ahead. And, and by the way, it's fun doing these playoff games too. John, I'm looking forward to game four tomorrow with you on the air. At 4 o'clock. Man, I can't wait to get in there. I can't wait to see the atmosphere. And I can't wait to see how the Pels respond because I think they're going to jump out. And, and, and it could be one of those where if they jump on them early, Portland might start looking at their looking at their watches and not looking at it for Dame Lillard time. They might be looking at their watches in terms of when are we going to get out of here for vacation. Nice reference. I like it. Good stuff. John, thank you so much. Always good to be here. Yes, sir, John DeShazer with us here on the Black and Blue Report. We've got the NFL schedule. All right, that's in hand. The draft is next. We'll continue our draft preview series as we look at the Oakland Raiders a little bit later. Eddie Pascal will be on the program with us. Up next, though, we'll turn our attention back to the series between the Blazers and the Pelicans and get the Portland side of things. Casey Holdall is with us next. Uber takes you couch to courtside at the tap of a button. Heading to a Pelicans game, Uber helps you pass on the parking and focus on the fun. And if you're still an Uber rookie, you can get $20 off your first ride with code PELICANS18. Uber, a proud partner of your New Orleans Pelicans. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager, brewed with love and top quality ingredients. It would grow to become something that connected us, the neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe, original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more, and always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana. We're talking NBA playoffs on the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report podcast. We'll continue our conversation about this postseason series between the New Orleans Pelicans and the Portland Trailblazers. Of course, we saw game three last night at the Smoothie King Center, and New Orleans won it 119-102. And we haven't had too many opportunities here this week to kind of get the Trailblazers side of things, and we're pleased to do that today with Casey Holdall. From, he's a beat reporter for the uh, Trailblazers. And he's kind enough to join us here. I'm assuming, Casey, you're in New Orleans with the team. You are correct, yeah. And I was uh, I was on hand last night uh, for Game 3, one of, the, uh, one of the, the great dumpings in Portland Trailblazer history. So, yeah, I, I am here. 
Are you surprised in any way as what's to happen, what has happened in this series, whether it be last night or even the two games in Portland? Yeah, I mean, and I don't think there's anyone who could say they aren't surprised. I mean, granted, the, the team wasn't playing particularly well when in the lead-up to the playoffs. Uh, I believe they lost you know, three in a row and, and beat the, the Jazz in, in the finale to, to finish their season and to secure home court advantage in the three-seed. But, you know, they, they, they definitely weren't playing particularly well. Uh, Mo Harkless, the injury there was, was an issue. Ed Davis was also out for a bit. So, I mean, there there were there were some concerning signs, but I think you know when when they beat the Jazz and after they had already clinched and and while they had something to play for, they they didn't have a ton to play for. I, I think you could kind of write it off to maybe maybe let their guard down a little bit, but you know they were still playing well, you know as early as two weeks ago. And once they get to the playoffs, you know they'll they'll be able to kind of turn it around. Uh, that has not been the case. Uh, the the Pelicans uh, from basically the jump in game one to. Uh, you know, all the way through Game Three yesterday, have just been the better team by leaps and bounds. Uh, Blazers with with absolutely no answer whatsoever for for Anthony Davis, and Drew Holiday, and and Nikola Mirotic and and Rajon Rondo, having no ability whatsoever to to get going offensively, particularly Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. So, you know, and those are things that that we rarely see. So, so I, I don't think there's there's no one who follows the Trailblazers closely who who wouldn't be surprised by this. Again, maybe not. You know, but there were some signs, but but not to this level. Casey, what are the players and coaches saying amongst themselves about what's transpired here over the last week? Well, I mean, I, they're not saying a whole lot right now because I, I think that they uh, they're a bit embarrassed at the performance. Uh, you know, I, I think kind of the the main issue or the main talking point has been just you know the the defense, particularly on the perimeter of Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo, and how. You know the doubles and and the traps and and really trying to force the ball out of Damian's hands, particularly Damian, uh, ha, has really worked and the and they just haven't figured out a, a way to counteract it. Uh, and it's not as if you know it's, it's something the Blazers haven't seen before. I mean, obviously one of the one of the main game plans to try to slow down the Blazers is to slow down their backcourt. And granted, in a playoff series, you have you have much more opportunity to to focus on those matchups and to really kind of dig into them and and figure out. Where you might have the advantage, and and Alvin Gentry's done a fantastic job of that, obviously. Uh, and, and again, they they've dealt with it before. It was a similar issue in the uh, in the playoff series two years ago against the Clippers. Uh, they ended up winning. Granted, they they had some fortune there in terms of, of injuries to the Clippers, but you know they were able to figure out how to use other players, particularly in that case, Mitchell Plumley, to, to kind of create for the rest of the team when when things weren't able to to kind of function in a in a cohesive fashion with Damian CJ. And they have, they have not figured out another guy in the series that, that has been able to do that. Uh, you know, at times Evan Turner has been someone who creates for other guys, you know, Yusuf Nurkic, when he joined the team last year, it seemed like, you know, that was something that he was adept at. hasn't really been the case this season. And, you know, they just don't have a guy right now that can go out and make plays when, when Damian and CJ are being smothered. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, having ripple effects through the team. And I think that's kind of where they're, where their head is at right now. They're, they're looking at things that have worked previously, both in the season and seasons past, and they're not working anymore. So I think, I think a lot of the players and coaches are kind of looking at themselves and, and asking, you know, what kind of team are we and, and what talent do we have? And, you know, are, are we as good as we thought we were? And I think at this point, I mean, they're, they're, they at least have a definitive answer for that last question, which is as of right now, no, they are not. Casey, you mentioned Yusuf Nurkic. I remember, I think it was in March, the last regular season meeting between these two teams. Yusuf had 21 points and 10 rebounds. I mean, he's hurt the Pelicans before. Why has he not been as effective in this series? 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is has to do one with the the way that the Pelicans were able to kind of lock down on that matchup. But I, I think again, it goes back to the inability to, to kind of create plays for other people when you know when when that trap comes on the pick and roll and you know Damian has to threat that you know that little you know pocket pass to to Yusuf. You know, it, either the, the pass gets picked off or he fumbles it away or you know there's a stunt there that, that kind of takes away that split second window and. You know they just haven't been able to to run things the way they typically run them, and that and again that that is just a that is the overarching problem. The the offense as it typically runs, at least as we saw during the regular season, and particularly you know during the 13 game winning streak they went on to to get to this point, has just not been there. I mean it, it's been blown up time and time and time again by by the Pelicans. Every single counter, it seems like they know it's coming. Uh, again, Drew Holiday has just been phenomenal in terms of of staying close and, and always having a body on a guy that, that kind of takes the, the legs out of those guys. And it just makes it impossible for them to kind of get the ball to Yusuf. I, I think also, too, you know, when, when the Blazers get down, as they have done basically every single game in this series, they tend to get away from going to Yusuf for whatever reason. And, and you know, once he gets kind of disengaged in the offense, you know, it's kind of hard to get him back going again. So, I, you know, it, it's been an issue all season in terms of, of how to kind of keep him – involved when when the game seems to be going other directions and it's something that i don't know that they've really found a, an answer for this season casey hold all with us here beat reporter for the portland trailblazers casey you mentioned the 13 game winning streak we're, we're talking about a trailblazer team that won 49 games but was there was there another team during the regular season that gave him the same fits that new orleans is doing to him now I mean, not 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 to this extent. No, not not at all. I mean, and that that game last night. I mean, I've been covering the team for I've been working for the team for over ten years now. I mean, I was really kind of trying to think last night uh, when the last time I saw them just get demoralized like that, and I I can't remember it. I mean, this has really been a a, a different level of of kind of domination. I think we've seen from the Pelicans in this series. Uh, you know, they they've always had issues with. The teams that shoot well from three, and and obviously the the Pelicans have done a great job with that. I mean, Nikola Mirotic last night just basically hitting any and everything he put up. Uh, they they tend to have problems with with teams that have good two way guards, and I think you see that in Drew Holiday. And and while Rajon Rondo maybe not scoring to the extent that that he is, uh, obviously running the offense in in a masterful fashion. So, you know, I'm I'm. I'm <laughs> I can't think of another team that they've had this much issue with because, again, I mean, hats off. It, I, I can't recall ever seeing them really just get kind of beaten the way that they've been beaten in this series. But, I mean, uh, they, they've had issues historically with teams like the Bucks that have length in a lot of positions, and I think we've seen that with the Pelicans. Uh, obviously, a team like the, the Warriors that everyone tends to have problems with, but a team that, that really has great ball movement and is able to work the ball inside and out and shoot from three. You know, I think those are kind of some of the the main issues that we've seen in this series. I mean, none of those teams have Anthony Davis, who has been just again phenomenal in this series as well, and and a a, a big man that that the Blazers just don't have any answer with on either end. And I think that's that's kind of another kind of long-standing issue this team has had is is just defensively and how how they go about dealing with with great shot blockers slash scores on the center and power forward positions. And again, they they just don't have much of an answer for that. Portland is a proud franchise with a proud tradition and a proud fan base. Do they, though, Casey, have anything left 
for game four tomorrow that would force the series back to Portland? I mean, you know, you'd like to say they do, but again, after after watching the first three games, and particularly with the game uh, last night in New Orleans, I mean, you know, you have a hard time picking them to, to win a game at this point. Uh, I, I do think that there is a there's just a strictly pride factor at this point. I mean, everyone knows that you know no NBA team has ever come down from 3-0, and and they, we've really seen nothing from this Trailblazer team to, to indicate that they would be the team to do that. Uh, I mean, I, I think that you know they they're gonna they're gonna do whatever they can, and I, I I'm a bit reluctant to say they're they're gonna come out and do it because if they were gonna do it, you figured they would have done it. You, know, you lose two games at home, and you know, you, the series switches over, and that's really your opportunity to say, hey, you know, we're, we're a better team than we showed in Portland in the first two games. And, you know, their response to that was, was again, just getting dominated on both sides of the ball and every single facet of the game. So, well, I, I think fan base, you know, we have such, such great fans, and they're, and they're so diehard, and they've, they've really, you know, they really have deserved better than I think they've seen in this series, unfortunately. Uh, you know, they they always stick with us, and granted, you know how it is, there's you know, people are, get upset, and, and rightfully so. I mean, I, I think there, there's, I mean, that's if you if you want them to be excited in the good times, you have to you have to understand that they're going to be upset sometimes. And you know, I, I think that there's some soul searching going on in terms of the fan base, and, and probably you know the team after you know whatever how this series ends up finishing is over. You know, to figure out kind of what what's the next step for this team. You know, if obviously that this series doesn't seem like it's going to go their way, they got swept last season by the Warriors. Which you know you you kind of you kind of understand to a certain extent if you don't follow it up the next year with another sweep in in the playoffs. So you know I, I think that's probably where where they go to right now if you're if you're the Trailblazers is hey we let's just not be the team that gets swept two years in a row. You know we might not win this series, but but let's at least go out and and not be you know a historical failure because as of right now you know that's kind of what it feels like a bit. Yeah, I know not an easy conversation, and I appreciate it. Um, Casey, no, I, no, I hope no. you enjoy. I, no, I'm, I'm happy to join you. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I hope you have a good time in our city. And uh, and by the way, who knows what tomorrow will bring? I, I have guessed wrong uh, most every time. So um, not to uh, take anything from the Pelicans or the Blazers, just it, it it's been unexpected for Pelicans fans. It's been delightful, I know. Uh, but then again, I have no idea what we'll see tomorrow. <laughs> so I, I don't either. And I, I always love here in New Orleans. One of my one of my favorite stops in the NBA. Uh, fans are great. Always, always such great interactions with them. Uh, you guys have a lot to be proud of, and uh, congratulations so far in the first three games. And yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes in the rest of the series. Yes, we will. We'll see you tomorrow at four o'clock. Casey Holdall, beat reporter for the Portland Trailblazers, kind enough to join us on today's Black and Blue Report. We're not done yet. We've got some draft previewing to do. We'll do so with the Oakland Raiders when we come back. It's playoff time, New Orleans, and the Pels are doing it bigger. Be sure to get in now for season tickets for the 2018-19 season and take advantage of the perks that come with your Squad 6 membership, like VIP events, special access, and a whole lot more. Season tickets start at $550. Call 504-525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com for more info. New Orleans Pelicans, do it bigger. We call it No Appointment Radio. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report. We're here with Eddie Pascal from the Raiders. The Raiders have the number 10th pick in the 2018 draft. 
Eddie, we have another big event that's happening today, the schedule release. I oh, yeah. wanted to know, do you have anything fancy planned for tonight? Because I know when things like this happen, I like to, you know, go get some wings, make sure I'm sitting on my couch <laughs> with a big full cup of sweet tea. Right? I mean, it, it's, it's become, a big deal. It's become like a, it's like a primetime event now, right? Exactly. It's like a, it's like a must, must-see TV oh, or yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah, it's being televised. It's, you know, bringing all the stops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let, um, let me see. I'll say this. I think that Raiders fans are going to be very pleasantly surprised by what we got, by what we got cooking. Breaking news. I won't news. say anything more than that. Breaking news. I won't news. say anything more than that. <laughs> but I think people will be very pleasantly surprised. Good, good. Well, it's going to be interesting, too, because there's so many news for the Raiders this year, right? You guys have the new head coach in John Gruden. You have new defensive coordinator, a lot of new adjustments on y'all's side of, uh, of the arena. Are you excited? Yeah, man. I mean, it is exciting. It's like you said, it's a lot of new. Mm-hmm. I think emphasis on a lot, right? Mm-hmm. We got Gruden's back in the mix, a whole new coaching staff. I think we got 20, we're at 23 now, 22 or 23 new guys. And so, I mean, we are completely turning this roster over, which after six and 10, I mean, it's something that obviously, you know, improvements have to be made. And Coach Gruden is doing what he thinks he needs to do to make sure that, that we get to a more competitive level. But yeah, I mean, like I think you said, the, the, the tone around here, the word of the day or whatever, I think is new. Everything is new. So, it's, I mean, it's hard not to be excited, though, right? Right. I know um, Coach Gruden talked about how you guys need more production from your younger players. Before you even consider talking about the draft, you guys have to focus on what you guys have right now. And, yeah, you've added a lot of new players. But how do you think they're going to try to get the most out of the production of the young guys that you guys already have? Well, I think number one, uh, these guys got to stay healthy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, like football is the contact sport. Guys get hurt, and it, it's you know it's a bummer, but it happens. But for our two young guys, I think the the two main guys that coach was talking about are Gary and Conley and Obi Melifon, who are first two draft picks from last year. And unfortunately, the two of them barely saw the field last year, just because both of them were hurt. And so I think number one, getting those two guys back to where they need to be, getting on the field. I mean, getting that, those reps, that production, getting, you know, everything they need to do to become, you know, top flight NFL secondary players like Gruden thinks they can be. Mm-hmm. I think that's number one is just keeping them healthy. But outside of that, I think that one thing that coach has done really well, and it's kind of been his MO, you know, in his first stint as, as a coach too, is he's brought in a lot of veteran guys too, guys that can help these yeah. younger dudes along, guys that have been in the league for a decade and have seen everything across the NFL board. And now they, it's kind of, you know, they're approaching, I don't want to say the end of their career, but, you know, certainly the second half of their career. And it's time to start giving that knowledge and, you know, helping these younger guys along the way. So I think those are the two things, right? Obviously staying healthy, number one. Then number two, just listening to these vets, these guys that have been there and done that. All right, getting into this draft, you guys have the number 10 pick. And obviously we know this draft is very quarterback heavy, but we're not quite sure there will be any of the top quarterbacks left when it gets to number 10. What are the Raiders looking to possibly draft in that spot? Well, well I think, I mean, first of all, you got to look at the defense, right? And, and Gruden's been pretty out front. He said, look, this defense needs to get better. And you look statistically what this group did last year and obviously not where this group wants to be. Uh, so you look at the defense as a whole, and, you know, obviously a lot of the team or a lot of the players that we've added in free agency have been on the defensive side of the football. But I think the one glaring, I don't want to say glaring, but one area that 
you know, could definitely use probably a little upgrade as well is that linebacker position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you look, you know, and, and looking at these mock drafts, it, you know, it seems like everyone has a mock draft these days. But <laughs> right. Everyone kind of looking with, with the experts. Yeah. But I think that looking with the experts, you know, quote unquote experts think, you know, the two guys that have really been linked to us are Roquan Smith and Tremaine, uh, Tremaine Edmonds. And, you know, will either of those guys be there at 10? I don't know. But, I mean, I think, you know, just top line thoughts, those are the two guys that really, like, jump off the board. Um, that being said, though, the interior of our defensive line needs a little help, too. I mean, we've gotten really lucky in that we have our all-pro, all-everything defensive and Khalil Mack on one side. But, you know, Khalil, Khalil needs a little help. And as dominant as he can be, you know, he's routinely seeing double teams, triple teams, you know, offensive coordinators are scheming to make sure he's not a factor so giving him a little help whether it's on the interior of the line with a guy like Vita Vea or maybe another defensive end like a you know a pure pass rusher I think those are two things that you know you you really look at as maybe an area of need for this team and then you never know too like the guys here always make fun of me but I'm such a big believer in the offensive line Mm -hmm. and I don't think you do anything in the NFL without a a dominant offensive line and so maybe if your guy's not there 10 you know, Reggie and, and Coach Gruden think, hey, maybe we can trade back. And, you know, we've been spoiled the past couple of years with Donald Penn, our left tackle, who's very quietly gone about his business, been a pro bowler routinely year after year. And But he's been, he's been up front too. He goes, look, I'm not, I'm not getting any younger. I don't, I'm not going to be here for another five, six years. So maybe you trade back a little bit and you, you know, see what's on the board and you get your left tackle the future. I mean, that's something to keep an eye on as well. But, I mean, I think you look at it and linebacker, defensive end, Maybe another a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick, if he's somewhere, you know, in that mix of ten, maybe you go out and get him. But you know, being a ten is is a good position to be at, especially like you, with you guys saying, you know, with so many good quarterbacks coming out this year. Well, you guys have to have a certain level of confidence, right? Because especially with the need at the linebacker position, and you have your new defensive coordinator Paul Gunther, who used to be a linebackers coach. Do you think um, one of those two guys that the experts have said um, you guys should pick up, do you think one of those two guys fits Paul Gunther's defensive scheme uh, more than the other? Uh, I don't know. I mean, in everything that we've read, and, like, you know, who knows, right? Right. You know, maybe – Maybe, maybe Gruden and Reggie mm-hmm. fall in love with a guy who, you know, is completely not in our in the realm of what we're thinking. But, you know, from everything that we've seen, I mean, you look at a guy like Tremaine Edmonds and maybe a little more like quote-unquote athletic mm-hmm. than Roquan Smith. Mm-hmm. Roquan Smith, you know, kind of has a little more production to his name, a little more well-rounded maybe. But, you know, you think a guy like, like Edmonds, maybe his ceiling is a little bit higher. I, I mean, I don't know. So you go back and forth and, you know, I think those are the two guys that routinely are going to get compared to each other and you know, and like I said, in looking at the mock drafts, they get flipped 9, 10, 10, 9. I don't think there's really a consensus mm-hmm. of who the better of the two players is. But I think when it's in a situation like that, it really comes down to, you know, who do the coaching staff, who do they take a shine to? You know, does Gunther prefer the intangibles of one compared to another? So, I mean, it, it's a great question, and, and truthfully, it's a, a question I wish I had an answer to. Now you, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Now you guys have um, picks in every round including eight picks. Yeah, we're going to be busy. Yeah, including eight picks on day three. Now, is that a – are you guys – do you feel like the Raiders are in a position where they are able to draft out of availability, best available, or necessity? Which one? Uh, you know, I think we're kind of in that, I guess, an in-between area, if, okay. in a good way, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, there you look, at, you look at this team, and you got your franchise quarterback. You got your number one wide receiver. Like I said, you have a left tackle who admittedly is, 
is closer to the end of his career than the beginning, but has been a dominant left tackle. You have your all-world defensive end in Khalil Mack. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pieces are there, right? Your building blocks are there. Now, at this point, I mean, that being said, 6 and 10, not going to get the job done. And right. any team that takes a lot of things that you need to get better at. So, But I think that with those kind of cores in place, those pillars in place, it gives you a little bit of flexibility. Maybe you can take a flyer on a guy that you really like that, hey, you don't maybe necessarily need him to contribute right away, but you really, really like him on, you know, on day three, a guy you can develop. But so, I mean, without completely dancing around the question, I think they're at, the Raiders are at a good place, right? You know, not a great place because, like I said, coming off a 6-10 and 10 campaign, but the pillars are there. The things that you really want, the things that you need in place to build a dominant NFL team, thankfully the silver and black have right now. Sorry, yeah. I was just a piggyback off of that. With so many picks, is that an option of trading for you know either better positions or something else? Do you think that could? Oh, I, 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 I mean, I think one thing that Reggie's shown since he's been here is he's not afraid to wheel and deal come draft day. Uh, it makes our life a little more challenging sometimes, mm-hmm. right? When you're like, and you're getting ready for okay, we have this pick, we have right. you know one thirteen, one nineteen, and one forty two, and then all of a sudden, up oh, okay, all three of those are gone, and we're moving up to two spots. Right. But I think that one thing Reggie has shown is he, you know, he's he's willing to make a trade. He's you know willing to kind of do what he thinks is best. And uh, if he finds a guy, if he sees a guy that he has to have, you know, I think he's not going to be afraid to pull the trigger. And and I think it's the other thing on the other side of that though is that. The entire time he's been here, Reggie's been very measured in his approach during the draft, right? You know, he's not a guy that's going to be, I don't want to say enamored, but he's hes very meticulous, and he has a plan, and he has a plan A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. And so he's going to go through his process, and he's going to do what's best and build this team the way he Eddie, I feel like you have to be chomping at the bit here because there's going to be so much competition come training camp. Because yes. not only do you have your players that are going to try to be competing for the starting position, but you also have Coach Gruden who's going to be trying to prove himself. You know, So you have so much competition between those players, and then they, they just want to do a good job and impress Coach. What do you think is the mentality of the players coming in, um, coming in this year? Well, I think the mentality, I mean, and it should be the mentality of any guy, whether you are here, you're, you know, you're a new guy, you're a draft pick, a high draft pick, a low draft pick. I mean, there is nothing that is going to be given on this team in 2018, which is the way it should be, right? right. Everyone mm-hmm. from number, number, number one on the roster to number 90 is going to have to earn his keep and he's going to have to earn his reps. And, uh, I think that competition is the name of the game. I mean, it's, it's like such a cliche to say, but, you know, you know, the iron sharpen iron mentality mm-hmm. and you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, that's exactly what coach, coach is bringing here. That's exactly what the expectation is going to be. The expectation is going to be to compete day in and day out. You're competing in meetings. You're competing on the practice field. You're obviously competing on Sundays, but I think that's going to be, like you said, there, there is going to be kind of competition up and down the roster. And like, you know, for someone in my position, someone, you know, obviously you guys are, doing similar things i mean that's all you want right? Mm-hmm, right that's all you want you just want guys that that are ready to ready to show up at work every day and, and it's more fun that way right like if if everything was locked in across the roster it'd be kind of boring wouldn't it that's yeah. true speaking of fun eddie i have to ask you your favorite marshawn lynch moment oh oh man the best uh, the best one i think it's got to be i mean it seems like forever ago but just uh the week two dancing against the jets <laughs> on the sideline i mean he's just like 
he's a different dude, right? right. You know, yeah. he's, he's a different guy. Different kind he's, of beast. <laughs> he is who he is. And, I mean, I think that what was really cool about that moment, especially getting to look back on it now, is that that was just a moment. And I don't think we get to see it that often of just a guy having fun. Yeah. And I think that so often, like, I, like obviously this is like a pressure-filled, you know, job. It's a pressure-filled league. But, like, it's it's football, right? It's supposed to be fun. You know, we're doing right. what hundreds of little kids dream about. Hundreds of little kids go out and play every Saturday. And it's fun. Like, I know it's a business. I get that. But this is fun. And I think that moment of Marshawn dancing on the sidelines at home, in front of his friends, in front of his family, like, that was just, I mean, obviously last year didn't go the way we wanted it to, but I think that was probably one of my favorite moments of the year. He's so Bay Area, huh? <laughs> he is, man. He is. <laughs> well, Eddie, we look forward to seeing the fun continue with this 10th pick in the draft and what you guys look to do in the rest of your draft picks. Well, I do, too. It's going to be, like you said, it's going to be fun. It's not going to be It's not gonna be short of, of storylines to follow or anything like that. So I'm looking forward to 2018 is going to be a, a year over here. Oh, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eddie. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Happy to come on. Well, there you have it. And the NFL draft is less than a week away. Thanks again to Caroline Gonzalez uh, for her visit with Eddie Pascal from OaklandRaiders.com. I'm Sean Kitley. That'll do it for us on this Friday. We've had a very busy show, but there's been so much to talk about. John DeShazer stopping by today to talk about, obviously, the New Orleans Saints schedule for the upcoming season and, of course, the playoff series between the Pelicans and the Trailblazers. We thank Casey Holdall, too, as well, from the Portland Trailblazers for his thoughts today as we get set for Game 4 tomorrow at the Smoothie King Center. Don't forget, it's a red out at the Smoothie King Center. T-shirts all over the place again. Come ready, come loud, and uh, make sure you're in that number as the Pelicans will look to close out the series and keep it from going back to Portland for Game 5. Coverage on television begins at 3 p.m. Central Time on Fox Sports New Orleans. All game will be nationally televised on TNT. And, of course, on the radio, it's yours starting at 3.30 with Daniel Salerson's Pelicans warm-up, followed by tip-off just after 4 o'clock. Look forward to it. And we'll, of course, recap no matter what happens on Monday's Black and Blue Report. Hope you all have a great weekend, everybody. And we'll see you next time right here on the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans.